Amen. Thank you, JJ. Good morning, Church in the Square again. Welcome. Um, my name is Aaron Sweeney, and for those of you who don't know me, I'll go ahead and give a quick little summary. Um, before I do that, I'll go ahead and just tease out that we're going to go ahead and be in Romans 8 today, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Um, so you can go ahead and head there while I'm giving you a little snippet of who I am. Um, it'll be in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans. If you get to Ephesians or Galatians and so on, head back to the left. Um, and also feel free to use the table of contents because that's why it's there and it's super helpful. Um, so yeah, while y'all are looking and getting to that, um, as I mentioned, my name is Aaron. I have been in Chicago since 2014 and at Church in the Square since its inception. I have a, a wife of uh, about four and a half years. Her name is Emily. And we have a two-year-old son named Leo. And we live in the Humble Park neighborhood, just moved there about a month or two ago. And so um, I'm also a member here um, and a deacon at Church in the Square. And um, one of the elder candidates, as Jason mentioned last week, um, and currently in training as an elder. And this is kind of one part of that, that process in front of y'all. And so um, grateful for, for the privilege to be up here um, preaching God's word. And I, I was, as I was thinking, writing uh, the message that I realized the last time I had the privilege of preaching um, was back in probably mid-2019 when I was a pastoral resident here. Um, and I, I say all that just to acknowledge that it's just been two, it's about three years, um, but uh, it seems that so much has changed or gone on. Um, and, and for one, the last time I preached, we were not, well, I guess there's only five of us here today, but if we were gathering in person, we were not at ICI. We were actually at Monroe Elementary. Um, so, and we love those folks, but it's different location. For me, it's multiple jobs ago. For me and my wife, we did not have a child running around to pay attention to uh, while we were watching virtual sermons. Um, and so, and, and for all of us, obviously, we, um, you know, are in a pandemic, and this was before um, pandemic was even a rumor. And so, I say all that out loud to, to just give context to y'all um, for you to understand who this is in front of you on your screen. Um, as I came to the text um, and prepped for this sermon and who is in front of you preaching today and also just saying it out loud for me um, to hear because I know as, as I was working and prepping through this sermon, the Lord really just emphasized that um, in those moments. And so there's to be reminded that the last two to three years, there's been so much that has changed over and looks different. Um, and the Lord really, like I said, uniquely just made that emphasis um, in my heart and on my mind as I was prepping for the sermon. And part of that prep was I was actually going back and listening to a last couple um, couple weeks of sermons um, by Jason because just wanted to get some context um, and remind myself of what had been recently preached as we head up into this text in Romans 8, 28. Um, and the Lord was working in that. And um, part of that is I have, you know, we have a two-year-old son and his attention span is like this big. And so when we're watching a virtual sermon, I can focus about this much. So uh, re-listening to those and just kind of see what the Lord was saying through Jason and getting some context. Um, and it was at that time as well that the Lord was really 
placing that heaviness of looking back at the last two to three years and really was forcing me to not just move past that. It's kind of like, a, oh, wow, that was crazy. There was a lot different uh, stuff going on, but more of like, what does that mean? What are those things that have happened um, throughout those two to three years? Um, what is, and what I realized obviously is there's a lot of dope stuff that happened, but also there was a lot of really hard stuff. Um, and so all of us at Church in the Square have uniquely gone through our own hard stuff to, like, personally, together as a body, um, as a globe, we've gone through hard stuff. And so um, just realizing that I think was something really beautiful that the Lord was laying on my heart and realizing that that is the life of a Christian though, isn't it? Like th there isn't um, necessarily a uniqueness in saying that there are ups and downs in life. And so if we're honest with what we see in scripture, and, and what I, I guess in that little statement, what I mean is like, if, if we're reading God's word, we are in uh, scripture, knowing and reading what he has for us. And we're honest about what we see there um, of his church, and especially in the New Testament church, which we're in Romans, and then we were in Acts, um, most, uh, also somewhat recently at Church in the Square. We see that the Christian life is not a, a life that is one of continual ease and comfort. Um, and so that shouldn't be surprising to us. Um, and so if we're reading God's word in its raw form, we should accept that and understand that. Yet in the midst of that too, we constantly read of the joy that is experienced in the midst of this journey. And I say journey because I don't want to say just suffering, but there's joy that's experienced in all parts of that Christian life, whether it be moments that are easy and beautiful and also moments that are hard and difficult. And so I think Jason might have quoted this last week, the week before, but mentioning the title of a book by Eugene Peterson, the, the quote of a long obedience in the same direction. And I think that's, that's helpful in this because there's a long obedience in itself can be something great, but also can just sound like a trudging um, through the mud. And then we have this same direction, which is Christians. There is a beauty to that because we know that there's this direction. It's not aimless. And so with that in mind, Paul in, in Romans 8, Paul, Paul seems to be speaking to suffering, obviously outside of Romans 8, but over and over again, Paul speaks to suffering. Um, and we've probably heard that so many times, and even in, in Romans, and uh, he does it elsewhere. And so we're not going to go through all those texts, but feel free to, you know, you could Google Bible, Paul, and suffering, and probably get a ton um, of options to read there. But Paul is so very aware, it seems, of that reality. And not just uniquely in Romans 8, but I think as a as being a Christian and seeing what Paul has gone through, he's able to speak to this in a unique way too. And so in Romans 8, up to this point, it seems that he's kind of directly engaging with that reality. And in the most simplest form, what I mean is just the reality that life is hard. Um, and more specifically, I think in, in his writing in Romans and who he's speaking to, the Christian life is hard. And so I think it, it's helpful to sit there in that. And for some of us hearing that, we say, yeah. Some of us um, have felt that and experienced that. Some of us verbalize that we agree, but really, if we look at life, it hasn't been hard. And so I think there's something to kind of critique there or ask our question of like, why is that? Because the reality is if we're reading God's word and we see um, those that are part of the body, life is not all easy. Um, there are defin definitely difficulties, and we should expect there to be those things and difficulties and hardships. And so as Paul uh, is in the midst of this and speaking to this, 
he, back a couple weeks ago in verse 24 and 25, he, he reminds us of the help that God gives us. Remember, that was through, um, that God helps us by giving us a hope um, to endure, and it empowers us to endure. And then last week, in verse 26 and 27, he speaks, uh, Paul speaks to the help that God gives us so intimately through his spirit, and that he prays for us through his spirit, that when, that when we are weak and, and when we don't know what to say, when words seem at times pointless, um, his spirit intercedes for us. And then today, Paul will continue on to speak to how God helps us by working all things for us for our good. And so before we let our minds think too much into what, what that means and, and get ahead of ourselves, let's go ahead and read the text together today that we have, and then um, we'll ask the Lord for his help. So again, it's Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 28. If you're there, great. If you're not, just go ahead and receive this. And it reads, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, um, we come and gather together in a virtual way this morning, and we are grateful that we have that um, opportunity and ability. Um, Lord, would you use uh, anything that you would like to use that comes forth from my mouth today to equip and encourage or whatever you might want to do, Lord, for your people in Church in the Square and for your body, Lord. Um, would you soften our hearts today, mine included, that as we hear your word, um, that it would be convicting if it needs to be convicting, that it would be encouraging where it needs to be encouraging. And Lord, that if this turns us to celebration, that we would celebrate, Lord. Um, we know uh, and are confident that you, um, your word is living and effective. And so we ask you just to prepare our hearts for that reality this morning. So Lord, help us in your name. Amen. So Paul, so far here in Romans 8 um, that we listened to or uh, preached and, and read so far is, is equipping the people of God to see how they can move forward and live as Christians. And so reminding them why they can have confidence through what the Spirit of God affords us. And we kind of just reviewed that for the last couple of weeks, part of what that has looked like. And so for... For some receiving this letter, it's possible this was a new revelation of sorts or a new topic, but this is likely something that had already been known or learned and is a reminder or an exhortation. We can see that in how Paul starts this verse with, and we know that. There is, there's this assumption here by Paul that we as a collective have this knowledge. Again, the main makeup of this audience for this letter would have been Christians, likely both Gentile and Jewish. And so, he isn't just carelessly projecting this upon the audience, but is aware that those receiving this would have encountered this knowledge in some um, sort of way, whether reading, whether audibly, whether just the understanding of who God is throughout his scriptures. And therefore, we can understand it as a reminder or as an encouragement to the life of a Christian, um, just like it is for us today, um, it was for them. And so what is it that we collectively know then that Paul's getting at? 
we know that all things work together for good. And some of y'all that are following along in the ESV right now probably just realized, you're like, yo, you just skipped some words. Um, and yeah, you're right. Uh, the, it, it did so because the, the syntax and like the, the structure of this verse in the ESV translation, which I'm um, preaching out of today, and if you're following along, it, it can be a little rigid um, to the Greek and to help, I think, uh, understand how it could be read without losing its emphasis. Um, I'll give a little understanding um, with a couple other translations as well. So compare uh, to Romans 8.28 in the New International Version, it reads, And we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then in the New Revised Standard Version, it reads, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So I partially read through, partly I read through those uh, versions just so you know that I'm just not moving words around um, for no reason. Um, but it's, it, it's to be helpful in the readability of it as we walk through this text today. And so we have a primary statement being made of all things work together for good. And in those other translations, you see they have that up front. And then they have these qualifier statements at the end. And in ESV, it's kind of like a sandwich. And so... Um, the all things work together for good is that primary statement, which we will get back to, but I just want us to look at the conditional or the qualifying parts of this verse. These parts of the verse are what help us refine or understand who benefits, who can functionally walk in the reality that all things work together for good. So who is that for? That all things work together for good. And so the qualifying statements um, are those within the text that start with for those. So we have for those who love God, and then we also have for those who are called, and the added detail of according to his purpose there. And so these statements do effectively say the same thing, um, to give uh, to put the cart before the horse, I guess. There isn't much we have to search for in this to understand that Paul is saying the Christian, for the Christian, for the Christian. But in different ways, and likely there's reason for that, as Paul is thoughtful in his writing. And so for those who love God are Christians. And to be sure not to move too quickly past this, this is a true love for the triune God. I think one easy thing that we can do as we read God's word is just move a little too quickly past things that have assumed understanding and belief. And so just to give an emphasis, this love is one that's shown through actions as well as words. There's a depth to it. It's not a lip service that can maybe some have experienced in more of a cultural or a nominal Christian context. Um, but, and I guess just to give the understanding of depth to it a, depth to it a little bit more, um, Jesus shows this pretty clearly in a really beautiful way in Mark 12. When he's engaging with the scribes and, and one of them asks him, or they ask him, which commandment is the most important of all. And Jesus responds in saying, love the Lord your God and continues with, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And it is this love that is emblematic of one who has experienced the love of God in Christ through the Spirit. It's a natural outpouring that comes from the understanding and belief and trust in that reality. And Paul continues with the next qualifier, for those who are called according to his purpose. With the, with the former qualifier of love already in place, it lends itself to help in understanding what Paul is referring to as those who are called. As I mentioned previously, it's as if Paul is repeating for the Christian, for the Christian. And so in this second qualifier, we have for those who are called 
And so that is a, a word I think to look into in a moment to understand that call and called can be used in general, in a general sense in scripture, um, in the New Testament specifically, and also more specific, a more specific um, sense. And so to make sure that we have an understanding of that um, in relativity, we can see that the general call that is re represented in Matthew 22, 14, feel free to uh, turn there. Either way, I'll read it out. Um, and, and there it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And so there's a distinction there in that text of that called is a general call, while the chosen is the more specific part of that verse. And so what we see here in Romans 8, 28, the called used here is referring to an effectual call, not a general one. And one scholar puts it, as one scholar puts it, he is speaking, Paul is speaking of those who have not only heard the call, but have responded. Paul goes on to link this with God's purpose, as you see is the rest of that part of that statement. And God's purpose is saving his people. And more specifically, through the incarnation and the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of his son, Jesus, that purpose is salvation, is what makes that possible. And Paul's use of purpose here in the Greek is prothesis, and specifically the rendering here within this text is one that is connected with salvation-like acts in other areas. So we can be affirmed that this is something he's referring to in a salvation act to emphasize that Paul is speaking to Christians, those that are saved. So another area where this shows is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. It reads, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about your Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now have been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And so now we understand the purpose, and, and, and actually Derek will probably likely unpack that even more, so I won't get too much into that next week. So, um, but so now we understand for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose, in other words, for you, Christian, for, for me, for us, the body, all things work together for good. Now, I'm not entirely sure of everyone's story when it comes to their understanding of Christianity or whether they grew up within that context or whatever that looks like. We all have different experiences, contexts, and how um, we come to know the Lord. Um, and so I think what I'm about to speak into is good to be, needs to be heard and maybe understood by most folks a little bit more than others, but also at least as a caution in a general sense is helpful. And so for many, this verse, or at least that segment of all things work together for good, um, is possibly something you've seen on a plate in a house growing up or a cross figurine or a nice uh, Thomas Kincaid picture with nice writing. And so uh, no shade on Thomas Kincaid pictures. They're dope. Um, and then, but also for some of this, this maybe it's just something that's been consumed by hearing in, in a church context, in a small group, anyone you've engaged with, um, this idea or phrase of all things work together for good. And maybe it's, you know, it, it, it can definitely be switched up. And the reality is this verse or these specific words within this verse have definitely at times been misinterpreted, taken out of context. Um, I would even say devalued. And I'm not here, uh, it's not really 
I'm not trying to throw shade on that reality, but there is unintended consequences of this that I think are good to speak into and to hear and to understand. And then, and then let God's word give such a more beautiful understanding of these words for the Christian. This text is one of a handful of texts, I think, that um, within Christian culture at times historically can be reduced down to something that lacks depth. Uh, whether it's when hardship arrives or a difficult situation presents itself, maybe a person reminds you, don't worry, you know, all things are going to work together for good. Um, and, and in itself, that statement isn't wrong, but how it's received and even maybe what's motivating it isn't as accurate as it might need to be or have the depth that the Lord has for us to understand it. And so, in fact, I think what happens is it can get reduced even further to match closely to a cultural response that we've probably heard of like everything will be all right, you know, just stay positive. Or even I know I can fall into if someone's going into a hard meeting or they have a hard test or whatnot and this, this reaction to be like, oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to do great. Um, every, you know, and it's like, well, I don't actually really know that, I guess. Um, so church, there, there's in that there's so much more specificity to this text specifically. And with that becomes so much more beauty that we're missing if we reduce it to anything close to those, I guess we'd say, phrases driven by optimism, first and foremost. And the first main key here is to realize that Paul is not saying that things work together for good all on their own, as if bad situations turn to good situations for us. We very easily read our own context into God's word. What I mean by that is this verse could very quickly be saying, whatever is good as you define it in that moment in life. So it could be that you're, what's good is you're promised children that are going to obey you as a hobby. They do it for fun because they just love to obey that much. I know I wish that. Um, you could think you're promised uh, the idea of what is good is the perfect relationship that is right around the corner or the stable job that allows you to move to the exact town with the exact perfect schools because that is what is good. And what we do there is we project this idea of good onto God without actually taking the space to answer what is God's idea of goodness. And more specifically for us in our context, this tends to happen when we like read our own context into that. We, we take our westernized context and read it into God's word. It limits us from actually understanding and seeing the depth of what God would have for us. And we start defining things on our own terms. But what is good to God here? Well, Paul has been reminding us and exhorting the Roman Christians to be confident in life going forward. That's what he's doing here in, in, in chapter 80. He's been showing more and more of, Christian, how can you be confident with the hope that you believe in because of the spirit you have within you? And so instead of immediate gratification, rather, as a Greek New Testament scholar Doug Moo remarks, it is the sovereign guidance of God that is presumed as the undergirding and directing force behind all events of life. All events, good, bad, hard, um, easy. In other words, whether the situation be difficult, easy, God is going to work through all situations. And remember the end of this verse, according to his purpose of salvation and sanctification that we talked about previously. And so that means in, in the easy times, in the hard times, the reality is that God is present and working and not complacent in all of those and moving us more into his likeness. 
And that is unique as the Christian, something that is difficult, that's hard, that we would never wish on someone, that we would never want to repeat ourselves. The Lord uses that in a unique way that only he can. And God's example of that is through his own son, who willingly sacrificed himself on a cross that we might experience the love of the Father in the midst of difficulty and suffering because he experienced difficulty and suffering as well as celebration. Again, this is not void of ease and celebration or as previously stated, the dope things in life. So when blessings arise or arrive in our life, we praise God for his grace. When hardship arrives, we praise God that he is near to the broken, that he mourns with those who mourn. And while also knowing that he will not let hardship or difficulty happen to his people and it be in vain. Church, that is the beauty and the uniqueness as a Christian is that the difficult times in life are not in vain. The hardships that we experience are not in vain. They're not just something we look back and say that happened and that's it. No, the Lord in his sovereign grace utilizes every aspect of life to grow and pull his people in sanctification to be more like him, to be more holy. So God uses all things to continue to shape us and make us holy that we might increasingly experience the glory that he has set before us now as well as in eternity. And all that to say, y'all, like, to be real, this is still hard. <laughs> so like, as, as I even say this and know this to be true, it's still hard. Like, believing and trusting that this is true is hard. Um, and by God's grace, we get to walk in this, not just as an individual Christian, but as a collective body of Christ. And I think that's important because so often um, mustering up whatever we think we have to do something is so often th thought of in just a singular way. And the reality is part of God using difficult times or using times of celebration, using all things to move us towards good, to, to grow us in holiness and the likeness of his son, as he uses his body as a whole to be a part of that. He doesn't just shape us individually, but he shapes us in community. And that, personally, and hopefully for all of us, is, is amazing news. Is amazing news. And so, um, I did have, when I was initially writing this, I had a couple more points, but I also, like I mentioned in the beginning, um, the Lord really in this time, during this sermon, which is extremely unexpected, um, really the heaviness of like looking back the last few years um, was something he just kept pounding on me that that was part of whatever I was prepping for this sermon, whatever it was going to be. And so to the point where I, I'm kind of just going to end this with like sharing an experience um, where the Lord showed me so clearly as I looked back over these three years and again, the dope things in life that has happened also the really hard stuff how he kind of, in a very explicit way, kind of showed those three foundational truths that Paul has kind of helped us with, the hope of coming glory that empowers us to endure, the spirit of God himself interceding in our prayers, and then today that everything's working for our good and made it so clear. And so I just kind of want to share that because though it's anecdotal, I think there's an aspect of hearing the experience, hopefully, of uh, a brother in Christ, if nothing else, that can give... I guess, credence to this reality. And so, um, yeah, like I said, the Lord just really sunk this into my heart. Um, 
and made the last three years kind of look way more clearly in how he actually was working and his promises are true. And so um, quick snippet, a little over two years ago, my son Leo was born um, and he was born with a pretty, uh, a disease that is really critical. Um, I'm going to kind of skip through the uh, boring stuff, but very, can be very critical. And in that, I think the Lord was gracious to let my ignorance be ignorance so that I wasn't aware of that reality. Um, so this happened. Um, our hospital experience was not great in a, in a general sense. And so, so many different things of hardship in, in a moment where um, we were also seeing our child hooked up to things and being pumped with stuff. And me and my wife um, were barely sleeping and trying to be near him. And, and there, all that being said, it was, um, it was honestly one of the hardest parts or times in my life. Um, I would, yeah, it's something I would never want to experience again. And I say that all with the caveat of like, but I look back and the Lord has made so clear what was happening, even in the midst of something that sucked so much. Um, that it, it really, it truly was the hope, one of those truths, the hope of the coming glory, which empowers us to endure. So me and my wife believe in, in who Jesus says he is, that hope. And I saw it empower us to endure in that situation. Now, looking back in that moment, I don't know if I noticed it, but I look back now and the hope that we fully believe in because of that gift of the Spirit, it sustained, sustained me and my wife. And in that moment, knowing part of that what is empowers us to endure is that we do have the Spirit. And it intercedes for us. And I can vividly remember being so exhausted, almost feeling like delirious to some points. And, and when prayer seemed so typical and words seemed to not encompass what we were feeling and made no sense, but the Spirit of God interceded on our behalf with prayers and groanings. And it, I say that because I read it and we read it and we are, are, are struggling as a Christian to trust and believe God's word and I've experienced it. And what, and what I might have considered and wrongly at the time as elementary the Lord revealed as pure sustenance and gentleness and power. And I remember in the only way that it really was the Spirit interceding, because this is probably the only time I've ever actually prayed this with my wife, Emily, and we were just like, God, help. Like, God, God, why? God, I know your word says you are love. It says you're gentle. It says you're kind. You're faithful, that you preserve your people. I don't even know what all of that means in this moment but I know it says that and help us believe it and that you mourn with us. And so I look back, that all that to say, give that context. As I was doing this sermon, like I would, the Lord used that to, I was looking back on what happened in that instance in this last three years and how these promises of God, these truths that Paul talks about indeed are actually real. Um, they are for the Christian I can look back and see a scenario and actually see how the Lord has used specifically what he shows us in his word through Paul in our lives to draw him closer to him, draw us closer to him. And so, one, I urge you to look back, like as the Israelites often did in the Old Testament, look back to see how God was being faithful to his word, to his promises, because there's also a lot of time that we need to look back and realize when we were weak, because in that moment, it is the weakest part of my entire life was in those moments. 
And coincidentally enough, Jason saying last week that when does uh, the Lord intercede for us? It's when we are weak. And so, yeah, I urge you, look back, see what the Lord has done. Be honest about where your weakness is and be honest where your weakness is even going forward and see how the Lord, looking back, has worked in and through that to grow you in holiness so that you can actually give right praise and context to that hard situation and know that it was not in vain. The Lord uses that as he does all things. And so, for whatever that's worth, um, just wanted to share that. I love y'all, and thanks for the privilege to be up here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Lord, um, you are a God who continually is often overlooked even by your own people um, as we act throughout um, our lives, Lord, and just as we function, Lord, it's so easy to function within our own human logic and what we know to be the right choice, the right way, the most effective thing. And so I personally just thank you for how you've shaped my own heart in this as you've um, enabled me to look back and see that you are so faithful to be present and to work in all scenarios of our life. And in the midst of those scenarios, Lord, it can be so hard to trust and believe this. But I ask that you would work in the spirit within us, that we would trust and believe your word in those moments and that we would cling to that, Lord. And if we don't, Lord, I ask that you would, in your grace, uh, force us to look back to find time to actually spend thinking about what has happened in the history of our life and to slow down and and acknowledge that if if your hand is in everything, then there's an intentionality there. There's something that's taking place and we likely have overlooked it. And if we have, Lord, let us look back and see it more clearly and how you've shaped us. And not just for the sake of shaping us, Lord, but that we would be shaped into a closer likeness of your son, Lord, and experience little bits of that glory, Lord, until um, the day when you come and return. So we're so thankful for you. Um, Grow us individually, but also as a collective body in Christ, Lord, in your name. Amen.